Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. You still have time. Register today for my new free webinar scheduled for Tuesday, October 16th, 2018 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, How to Earn 20% Profit and transform your business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is a brand new live webinar. Register now for free at entrearchitect.com slash free webinar. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect this is episode 240, and this week, I'm with Stacy Brown Randall, and we're talking about referrals without asking. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. And Revit Rocketship. Learn Revit the fast and easy way with a powerful online course developed by the guys over at F9 Productions. From first-time users to seasoned pros, Revit Rocketship will show you how. Stacey Brown Randall, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. Let me introduce you to our audience. Stacey has dared to ask the question, can we receive referrals without asking for them? That sounds good, right, audience? 
After a painful business failure, her quest to build and grow a second successful business by nailing the part about bringing in new clients in an easier way, uh, a time-efficient way, an enjoyable way that actually worked, from that drive, her five-step process to unleashing a referral explosion was born. Stacy is the author of Generating Business Referrals Without Asking and the host of Roadmap to Grow Your Business podcast. Um, I invited Stacy to join me today because word of mouth and referrals are absolutely the top way that most architects and architecture firms find new work. It's People talk about it all the time in the community. I hear about it all the time. It's the way that architects traditionally have found work. And at the same time, we hate it. <laughs> We hate doing it. We hate asking for that referral. So when I learned about Stacy and her ideas about re- obtaining referrals without asking for them, I had to have her here. So Stacy, thank you very much for being here. Uh, I can't wait for this conversation. Well, I am very excited to share my five steps and what it looks like to generate referrals without asking with your community. That's fantastic. Before we get into that, I want you to go back to where you discovered this passion for what you do. Uh, share us, tell us that story, the story of where you discovered your passion and your purpose and how you got to where you are today. So it's really interesting. I love answering this question because I sometimes think the things we stumble on that become a passion of ours are the things we never intended to. We, we never thought that we would stumble or discover what we ended up being so passionate about. And the same is true with me. I, I started a first business. It was an HR consulting firm. And from the from the outside looking in, you would have assumed that business was really successful. I had clients like KPMG, one of the large four accounting firms, BDO, uh, Snyder's Lance, Coca-Cola wow. Bottling Consolidated. Yeah, nice Ally list, Bank. Yeah. yeah, City of Charlotte. Like I had some pretty big name clients. And so from the outside looking in, you would have thought, wow, her business is blowing up. And it was. It was just imploding. <laughs> so <laughs> it was doing the opposite of what you want it to do. And what I realized is that when my business eventually failed and I had to go back to corporate America and I had to get a job, what I realized was that a fatal flaw and a mistake that I made that I unfortunately see a lot of people who start businesses make is that I had not figured out how to touch business development every day. And I hadn't figured out a way to do that in a way that I was willing to do on a day in and day out basis. Because the truth is we get into business because we're really good at something, right? So your community is really good at the design and being an architect, but that doesn't actually mean you'll have a successful business. It means you'll produce quality work and that's great, but there's this whole other part to actually deciding to run your business and to be able to run it well. And so when I looked back on my business failure and I realized, yes, I had amazing clients and I was really proud of the work that I was able to do, but I worked entirely too hard for each client I did land. And I spent a ton of time trying to land those clients. And so when I looked back and, you know, hindsight's the beautiful thing, right? When I looked back, I realized that I hadn't figured out a way to touch business development every day in a day that in a way that would work for me in a way that I was willing to do. And so from there, I was like, okay, I am not made for corporate America. I am not made to work for somebody else. I have done it. I did it before I started my first business. So I didn't start my first business, I think, until I was in my early 30s. So I had done it with my first business. I had been in corporate America before. I had that taste of freedom. Then I had to go back. 
to working for someone else. And I was like, I need to own my own business, but I need to be smarter about it and I need to have some better success. So one thing I discovered was what I wasn't doing was generating any referrals. And of course, everything you hear about referrals is amazing, right? The person shows up, they already trust you. They're less price sensitive. They already see value in you. They're ready to go. They, they're already in the mindset of, I have a problem and you're the one I've been told who can solve it. So they show up at this different place than a cold lead does or even a warm lead or anybody you meet at a networking event. They just show up at this different place and it's easier to close business and you have typically a better working relationship with them because there's this level of trust that's been developed that come they come with. It doesn't have to be developed over time. And so I was like, whoa, totally missed a massive opportunity here, but how do you get referrals? And then that's when I started doing my research. And all the research said, yes, you absolutely can have referrals, but you're going to have to go ask for them. And that just kind of hit me from a place of, yeah, that feels like making a cold call. So I call it yeah. asking for a referral, like a cousin to a cold call. I, I just don't want to. If I don't have to, I don't want to. And so I knew that if asking for referrals was the only way to generate referrals, it wasn't going to work for me. But then I started thinking about, wait what is a referral? Like, what's the human dynamic? What's the psychology behind why it happens? I think asking actually hurts your chances. So literally, I teach people how to generate referrals without asking, not because I set out to build a business around this, but I could not have another business failure. And when I started my second company, which was a business and and productivity coaching practice, when I started that business, I was like, I can't go through another failure. Family can't go through another failure. Like, I need something to be successful or I'm going to be stuck with a job forever. And so I just kind of started figuring out referrals for myself because I needed to to have that success. And then because I happened to be coaching small business owners and a lot of solopreneurs and they started saying, what are you doing to grow so fast? I mean, I was raising my rates on them. I was shrinking the number of days I was available. I was, I mean, I got to a place where I was only working two days a week and I was making multiple six figures doing that. And they're like, what's happening And I would say, well, I get most of my business by referrals and it just saves a lot of time and makes you a lot more money. And they're like, how? And so I started teaching my solopreneurs, my small business owner clients, my steps. And what I realized is, oh, wait, it's five steps. As I, the more I taught it, um, the more I realized, oh, it's five steps. And that's what distilled it down to. And then from there, I actually started saying, this is actually what I want to do. I want to, you know, I love coaching and I love that one-on-one time I have with my clients, but I can help so many more people all across the country. And we have an international community now inside the Growth by Referrals program. And I want to be able to help more people because everybody should know how to do this. And so I transitioned my business over to more of that, you know, online training, you know, course type platform to help more people. But I never thought I would. Right. I mean, when when you think about what you're going to do with your life, if you told me one day, Stacey, you're going to have online trainings where you teach people how to generate referrals without asking, I'd be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But that's how I am here today. I mean, it started with a business failure and a need to do it differently. And so I put in the work to figure out what that looks like. Yeah. And and you're clearly passionate about this topic. You can hear it in your voice. Um, you can hear it in your story. And, I, and I'm not going to stand in your way. I, and I, because I think everybody who's listening right now wants to know what these five steps are. So, <laughs> so rather than getting too deep into anything else, let's roll right into your five steps. What, what are, what's the first step? How do we do this? 
Great. So can we back up for one yeah, quick second absolutely. and let's yep. just make sure we're all defining a referral okay, in the it. same yep. way. Yep. And I only, you know, it's interesting. I only say that because I get a lot of people who they go through the program and they're telling me like who, what referrals they've received. And I'm like, that's not a referral. And I realize we have over diluted the term referral today so that we're not really quite sure what we're talking about. So I always find everybody knows what a cold lead is, right? That is a cold lead. Is it somebody you called, you emailed, right? That's somebody who may have found you online on some in some way, shape, or form, but they're a cold lead. And then you have warm leads, right? They may be the people you meet at networking events or at trade shows, or you just you've known them in your past. And then there is the introductions where somebody says, Hey, Stacy, you and Mark need to know each other, right? And then there's word of mouth buzz, which is where someone says, hey, Stacy, I was talking to Mark about you and he's totally going to reach out and hire you. That's still not a referral. None of those terms, none of those four terminologies, none of those sales terms Interesting. Yep. Okay. are actually referrals. A referral has two things none of those other four have. And that is there is a personal connection, like in an introduction, right? There is a personal connection made connecting, let's just use us as the example, Stacy and Mark together, right? By let's just say our buddy Tom, right? There's a connection of us two together. Great. That is one piece of the puzzle for a referral. It's typically the only thing an introduction has. The second piece that a referral has to have is that a need has to be identified. There has to be a reason that Tom would refer you to me. There, so you have to have, you have to be very aware that you have a problem to solve, an issue that you need to deal with, right? And you're in the problem solving mentality. You're ready to spend the money, to make the decision, to move forward. You may not know exactly who quite yet, but you are ready to do something about it or at least learn what your options are. So the need has been identified, which is actually what word of mouth buzz has without the connection. Right. So it's like it's like the introduction and word of mouth combined. Yes. Right. It's like they're on steroids. So it's so it's <laughs> so it's it's basically a potential customer, somebody who's looking for your service, actively looking for your service, and has a personal connection to someone who has a connection with you. Right, because that's where the trust is transferred. Right. Okay. So and it's, that's, that's what very makes the important. referral so yeah. powerful. Right. And the other thing I would say is sometimes they may not know they have a problem, but in conversation with someone they trust about business or their personal life, you know, depending if you're B2C or B2B, right? Whatever conversation they're having, you may, the person who's going to ultimately become your referral source, who's going to refer them to you, they're going to stumble into that conversation and they'd be like, oh, I wish I could fix this. And the person would be like, wait, have you ever thought about? this, right? So they're like, wow, I just started my firm. I really need a community. And they're like, wait, have you heard of Mark? Right? So, so sometimes we don't always know we have the problems, but in conversations, they come up. Sometimes we're very aware we have a problem and we go seeking someone to help us solve it. Either way, we're going to someone we trust and we want that person to refer the person who has the problem to us. That's very important to understand that, that definition of a referral, because as you were listing off those other uh, potential leads, um, some of those sounded like referrals to me. And so once you identify them as, you know, as a, as a personal connection with somebody that has a need for what you do as the definition of referral, that makes it very clear. And I think that's the important part as to when people come to me and they're like, I get referrals, but I have a hard time closing them. And that's true. I mean, some people do, but I'm always like, Hmm, that really shouldn't be. Tell me what we're talking about they're typically not talking about referrals. Right. They're talking about the, they're usually talking about warm leads or introductions. Yeah. 
And, and the reason why I tell folks it's so important to understand what a referral is, is because it's all about the driver's seat that you are the seat that you're put in in the car. A word of mouth buzz puts me in the back seat. Someone's been talking about me. Someone needs me, but I don't know who they are and you didn't connect me to them. Right. So I'm in the back seat. An introduction puts me in the back seat, too, because I just got introduced to someone. But now I'm like, are we going to have coffee to have coffee or do they need me? Do, do you think they need me? But they're not quite sure. Like there's a, just extra work involved to get there. And a warm lead is what I typically tell folks is it's usually sometimes when someone says so and so needs your help. So call them. That's the same thing. There's no connection or need identified, but someone thinks they have a need. Right. So it's just really important to understand we will not. I mean, some people will. I tell most people don't focus on a 100 percent close ratio of turning referred prospects into clients. But you should have a very high ability unless you're getting the wrong type of referrals. You should have a very high close ratio, at least higher than your other types of sources of lead generation for new clients. And so when you're not having that that ability to turn those referrals into actual clients, I typically tell folks, well, that's because they're not showing up as a true referral. They're missing a piece, the the trust from the referral source with the connection or a true need they're ready to solve. They're just missing something. Right, right. And and now I understand why it's so important to define referral because that leads right into step one. Because yes. you can't do step one without understanding <laughs> what a referral is and what it isn't. So So let's roll into step one. Perfect. So step one, I always say, so I'm going to talk about these five steps and I'm going to assume you already have a very important foundation built. And that foundation I'm going to assume you already have built is that you are worthy of referrals, as in you do good work and you have a sticky client experience that makes your clients want to talk about you. Now, you don't just get referrals from your clients. You also get them from what I call centers of influence, which is a sub part of your network that really knows what you do, but they don't do what you do. But they also come in touch or in contact with your ideal client. So there's a chance they have the ability to send people to you. So I'm going to make the assumption here that you do great work, you build relationships, you are you, you do work enough to where you are referable, you're worthy of those refers, referrals, excuse me. But even though you're worthy of those referrals, you're not owed them. And that's where the five steps start. So step one. Wait, before you before you go into step one, I want to also yes. just add one thing to sort of set expectations here with the listeners this is referrals without asking. This is not referrals without working. <laughs> this this is not a, a get rich quick scheme. This is not something that you're just going to pop in these five steps and you're going to have an automated referral machine, although it may be if you listen to it, but it's going to take work. And so, so I just wanted to mention that because when yeah. I first heard, you know, referrals without asking, I'm like, Oh, this is sort of, you know, this is, this will be interesting to see how these referrals are going to flow in without any work. But as I learn more about what you do and what you're referring or what these steps are, it's clear that this is this is a process that we need to, to put together. It's just like all the other business processes that you hear me talking about, this is another process for generating referrals. So I just wanted to mention that. No, and I think it's perfect that you mentioned that because it's I tell people all the time, look, if you don't want to do something and you want to replace it with another activity, it's still an activity, right? You still have to do work. And I always tell folks, people are always like, well, why is all the, all the advice out there that I have to ask? I have to ask. I'm like, because it's fast yeah, and it feels like the least amount of work in theory. But when you're sitting across from someone and you're getting uncomfortable and they're getting uncomfortable, then all of a sudden you realize this is, this is not fun work at all. And so this, and I always tell folks, there are three types of people. They're the people who love to ask 
So I always say, go on with your bad self and keep asking. If it works for you, I (laughs) don't understand it. But if it works for you, go. I don't want to break something that's working for you. But the other two groups of people are the people who hate asking, but they do it because they don't know of another way and they've been told they have to. And so they feel like they must, even though they every time they do it, they hate it. And then the third group of people are the people who hate to ask and fundamentally just refuse to do it. But what's happening with group two and group three, based on all the advice that's out there is, well, if you won't ask, you can't get referrals. So they think, well, referrals aren't for me. And I always tell folks, yes, referrals are for you. But to your point, Mark, there's work to be done. And this isn't going to happen overnight. And I always tell folks, you know, I believe that my five steps, watching my success and my students' success inside my program, that it will lead to a referral explosion. How you define explosion will be really, really dependent on what your business looks like. I get over 100 referrals every year when I was a business and productivity coach. I couldn't even help that many people. It was more people than I could help. That's why I could raise my rates and shrink the amount of time that I was actually working. So, But for some people, like the attorney, right, I always say, well, they may only be able to take 10 or 12 cases, right? For an architect, they may not be able to work on 50 houses in a year or 50 commercial buildings in a year, right? So it really depends on what the explosion looks like for you. But I tell everybody, it starts with a trickle. And it starts with a trickle because you have to set a foundation and you have to do some work first and then you have to keep at it. Right. So when you think about step one, step one is knowing or what I call IDing, but it's knowing who your referral sources are. So let's identify, ID, your referral sources. Now, the easiest way to do this depending on how long you've been in business, the easiest way to do this is to really just pull a list of all of your clients. And then either you're going to have this in your CRM database, or you're going to have it maybe in the client folder, or maybe it's going to be tucked away on some Excel spreadsheet, depends on how you've captured this data. And there will be many of folks listening right now that'll say, oh, I never captured this data. <laughs> you, it happens. Too many. Absolutely. <laughs> I remember I was doing a private like VIP session for a financial advising team. And I was on the phone with one of the advisors before our VIP session where I go in and actually build it for them, their referral generating plan. And they were like, they got mad at me, but really at themselves that <laughs> they didn't have this data tracked. He was like, How have we been in business this long and not tracking this data? I was like, I don't know. Right. So it does happen. But, you know, I I call it it's either going to be you're going to push a button in your CRM or you're going to do a walk down memory lane and you're going to pull that list of clients and you're going to try to remember or you're going to identify how do they hear about you? What was their source? So maybe they came through a a Google search. Maybe you worked with them at a previous uh, business and they can send referrals to you. Right. You guys worked together at a previous company. Maybe they met you at a networking event. Maybe they were referred to you by somebody else. Like, so the the idea here is to consider what's the source. We're going to end up distilling that down and kind of just eliminating all the other sources. And really what we're going to be left with are the people who were referred to us by another human. And it's those list of humans that are our referral sources. And it, that list is our list of gold. And I would argue it's actually more, that list of people are actually more valuable than your list of clients. And I say that because they're the ones that help you find new clients easier, saving time and saving money. So we love our clients, nothing against our clients, love them to death. I love all of mine. But the truth is my referral sources make my life easier and better. And so taking care of them has to be a priority. And as an architect, many of our referral sources are our past clients. They're they're the people who are happy with what we did. Um, and have guests come over to their houses or into their businesses and, you know, see what you've done. 
Right. And and then ask the question, hey, who did this? Right. 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 And so when you when you think about identifying your referral sources, there's two ways to go about this. I always tell folks that the, the easiest way is just to pull your list of clients. And if you've been in business less than five years, I need you to pull all five years. If you've been in business more than five years, well, I really say at the 10-year mark, just go back at least 50% of the time you've been in business. And for those that kind of find them like, oh, I've been in business six or seven or nine years, I'm going to let you pick. You're either going to go back all seven years or you're going to go back four of your seven years. But you need to at least go back half, if not all, of the years you've been in business and pull your clients with one caveat. And that is if I'm going to make this example up. So, Mark, you may have to direct me if I'm wrong with it. But let's say as an architect, you started out designing homes. And then all of a sudden, four years in, you switch to doing commercial buildings. Yeah, common. Okay, so if that's the case, anybody who referred you homeowners, if you look back and you recognize, well, all those referral sources were other homeowners, they may not be the right referral source to be referring you commercial work in the future. So if your business direction has changed, the type of referral sources you've had or who are your referral sources, they may not be able to produce referrals for you in the future. So you may not go all the way back if your direction changed or your product or service or offerings has changed. Now, I would still look at that list and just say, but wait, who works in buildings, right, that I can let them know that things have changed just so they're aware. And so they could become a referral source. They just don't typically become them. So it's important to keep in mind, we've got to identify our referral sources. And what you do after you have those list of clients is now I know who are my, who are the clients that were referred to me. And now I have my list of referral sources. And that is step one. And here is the secret for step one. If you do step two correctly, you never have to do step one again. It is a one time step. Now, if you are lazy and you don't do step two the way I want you to do it, then you may have to repeat step one again because you won't have this list of past referral sources and this list of current and active referral sources. So so go ahead. Go number two. Okay. So step two is, is that you have to have immediate follow-up process to thank somebody for a referral. And when I say immediate follow-up process, I mean a proper immediate follow-up process, which means every time a referral is received, you have to thank by handwriting. So you have to thank them with a handwritten note. The email you send, the text you send in the moment to say thank you is great, but you have to send something that actually has more impact and is more permanent. And so that only comes through a handwritten thank you note. And that's an important piece that people sometimes overlook because it takes work to sit down and pull out a card and write thank you on it. I will tell you, though, it really only takes a couple of minutes, but we perceive it to take so much time. And so it's really important we have that follow-up process because here's the reason why. Why should I send you any more referrals if you can't properly thank me for the one I just sent you? And when we're receiving those referrals, we're tracking it. So we're putting it into our database. We're putting it into an Excel spreadsheet, whatever it is that you want to use. I use an Excel tracker because I just think it's easier. And every time someone is referred to me, I am capturing the date they were referred. I am capturing who referred them to me and the name of the person who was referred, that prospective new client. And so I am capturing that information so that at the end of the year, I know all of my referral sources for this year, and then I'll know them for next year, and I'll know them for the next year, so I never have to repeat step one again. So yes, it's important to do an immediate follow-up, as in sending a thank you card. It is also important to make sure as part of that 
thank you process that you're also tracking the referral that was just received and by the referral source name. Right. If you don't have that database front that that is identified in step one, you don't have some system in place that's capturing who referred you, um, then now's the time to start. You know, we go back, yes. go back to your last five years, like Stacy said, and develop that database with that information. And then all of these new um, thank yous that you're going to send out, you're going to track them in that same database. Yes, absolutely. And and for those who are like, hey, I'm brand new, I don't have a CRM yet. Well, then I'd say just pull out an Excel file yeah. and start tracking it this way until you get yourself to a place of knowing it's time to make a CRM investment. Yep. Even, but track even, it. <laughs> even if you're tracking it on paper, paper's not going to be the, the best way because it's hard to search and you'll lose track of it. But at, at least it's there. I have from yes. from the last 20 years, I have a pile of client contact information sheets that I have that has every referral that I've ever ha had that then I send off to somebody to help me. I scan them and then those get put into a database. That's not the most efficient way, but uh, that may sort of help you get this database set up. You probably have some sort of system, maybe in your initial notes that you have a way of, of collecting the information when a, when a call comes in. Maybe you have that systematized. On that, there may be a note on there that says, this is who referred you. Those are the kind of things that get put into that database um, that you can then use for the rest of the process. Yeah, and I would say for the people who have a database, most CRMs or databases that you're going to use, and I find this spans across industries, there's always a place for new client name and then like the source, like right. where they come from. But what I find with drop downs is it may be Google ad and it may be trade show and it may be referral, but just capturing that that client came through a referral isn't actually good enough. I need you to add a field to your CRM that, so you, you can capture the name of the person that referred them to you because that's the only way the data is going to do you any good when you right. go to pull it you need you know, every quarter, every six months or right or every year. Right. And and I and the other question I have about thank yous. You said that it has to be a handwritten note for this to work. Um, yes. And I and as soon as you said that, I heard a lot of people sigh. <laughs> because, Actually, they they groaned. Right, because now there's another <laughs> thing. There's another thing they need to do that takes time. Um, two questions. One, does it have to be written by you? Can it be written by an assistant <laughs> as long as it's something that you're saying and you sign it? Um, and the second is, is there any other way? Is there an automated system that, cause in my mind always goes to how do you automate this? The first thing I want to know is how do you automate this? If I can't automate it, can I delegate it? Yeah. So I love that, right? As a, someone who is a certified productivity coach, my brain goes to the exact same place. How do I automate this? How do I delegate it? How do I get it off my list so I can focus on other things, right. but I don't have an answer you're going to like. That's okay. I that's, why I, that's why I asked yeah, it. Just not one you're going to like. So here's the thing. Mark, when I send you a thank you card, what does it say to you? That you care. Right. That I care and that I took time yeah. for just you. It's really hard to multitask in the middle of writing a thank you card or you'll never finish it, right? Yeah. That when you're sitting down to write a thank you card, and we don't necessarily consciously think this when we receive one, but it it's subconsciously in the moment of how we feel. Like, wow, they care enough about me that they sat down and wrote a card. We don't think that, but our brain knows it, and that's that warm, fuzzy feeling we get when we pull a card out of that stack of bills and junk mail that's sitting on our kitchen counter or in our office when we go to check the mail. 
And so you can't have that same impact, that same sense of, wow, they gave up their time and they care for me. If you're delegating it to an automated third party that's going to even pretend to make it look like it's done in your handwriting by some really sophisticated robot. Yeah, or even so, an assistant who's writing it by hand. That was my... My next point. My yeah. next point is, is that if no one knows your handwriting, you probably can get away with it. But the minute you send something else that has your mm-hmm. handwriting, right. the disconnect will be there. And actually, it's going to have more of a negative impact. Yeah. Because they'll be like, really? Like, he, you couldn't, like, and let's be honest, I'm thinking architects sometimes, don't you guys sign your plans, right? Yeah. Yeah, and things like that. Yeah. Like, it, right. And there's handwritten notes that maybe when we're meeting, we're talking about things and I see you taking notes and maybe you take those on iPads or whatever. But a lot of times we're still... Like we get a sense sometimes when we spend time with the people that are that we have hired right now, maybe I'll never know what someone's handwriting looks like from Amazon because I don't talk to anybody at Amazon. But a relationship that's built with an architect that I'm going to trust to build something for me or design something for me that someone else will build so that I don't waste my money and I don't make a massive mistake, we're going to spend time together and we're going to have a certain relationship. And so when I get a handwritten card, I will assume it came from your handwriting. If in the future I ever discover that mm. you outsource that or you delegated that, it will cheapen the effect on me. Yeah. And at that point, it's even more negative than it would have been if you had just like almost told me in advance, I'm going to send you a thank you card, but I'm not going to write it. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine that. I, I And architects have typically architects have very distinctive handwriting. We're taught to write very clearly because that's the way when we used to do handwriting on drawings, it was a very specific way we had to write. And so many architects have a very distinctive handwriting and, and, and it's a distinctive handwriting that says architect. And so if somebody who's not an architect is writing these, it's going to be very clear that it's not you. Um, the other thing is that I just wanted to, to follow up and, and confirm what you're saying about thank you cards. I get probably, I don't know, maybe a dozen thank you emails a month for what I do at Entree Architect. And I get maybe uh, one or two uh, handwritten thank yous every couple of months. So maybe one a month of a handwritten thank you. The emails are important and they're my fuel. I love it. It's something that makes me continue to do what I do. And if you are considering thanking me, please do it because it makes, <laughs> it makes me feel so good. But when I get a handwritten note thanking me, I treasure it. I save it. I put it on my mm-hmm. wall. It is so important to me that somebody took five minutes out of their life and wrote down the words, thank you for what you do. You have an impact on my life. It makes me, it, it is everything to me. And so I absolutely agree with you that handwritten by you is worth every minute of that time that it takes to do it. Absolutely. And I think that sometimes like we, it's almost as if we separate our brains on this issue. We know exactly how it feels when we receive one, but it's like we jump to the other part of our brain that says, oh my gosh, it takes time to have to send them. But we know how it makes us feel when we receive one. And it's the same thing with me, right? Like I will get handwritten thank you cards from my students inside my program or VIP clients or whatever. And I'm always like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, and I'm like you, I save it and I have a place that they go and I love it. And when I'm having a down day, I'm like, well, I'll just read what all these people who love me, but I also love the emails. So I would tell folks that if you need something that's immediate, 
immediate, like I need them to know right this second, I got it and I love them, right? Then send the email, but you then follow up with a thank you card. And that's super important. Even if somebody sends you over three referrals in a month, they need three individual thank you cards. The only exception to that is if you get like two referrals or three referrals, like multiple referrals in a week, then you may combine them all into one thank you card. But if they're coming separately, like it's handwritten thank you notes. And the truth is, I always tell folks, you know what? You know you have a healthy business that says something deeper about you than just your great architect when you actually get to sit down on a monthly basis or a weekly basis and a thank you note. Yeah. If you haven't written a thank you note because you haven't received a referral, I'm not talking about you've received referrals and you sent the email and not the thank you note, but that that should be a wake up call for you. That should be a wake up call to say, what am I not doing that's not p- putting myself in a position to be able to receive referrals? And most of the time, it's not that you're doing crappy work. I mean, it could be, but it's probably not that. It's probably that you don't have a truly identified referral generating plan that is allowing you to do the things you need to do so people think about you in a referral mentality. And this thank you card is such an easy one to do. And it has such an impact. The email makes us feel good. It has a momentary impact. The thank you card makes us feel good because it has a long lasting impact because typically we don't throw them away and we look at them from time to time. Yeah. And I'm sure there's lots of time that you're spending now on things that are not working. And you you can identify them pretty quickly because you're probably doing them now (laughs) and take that time. Stop doing some of those things that you you're calling marketing and calling, you know, connecting that that is generating nothing and take that time and go write a thank you card. Absolutely. It makes it I mean, it's not the hardest thing you'll ever do. (laughs) I promise. And you know, it is sometimes I do have folks who say, well, my handwriting stinks. I'm like, well, then you're going to write really, really slow so that it doesn't stink in that thank you card. But you're not getting out of it. And I think our architects like to write, so I don't think that uh, you know for Perfect. for something like that. I think they it 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 allows them to exercise that that architectural handwriting that they no longer use because the computer's sitting in front of us, and so uh, it'll be fun to write some thank you cards. Yes, absolutely. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. You know this, this would not happen without them. So we appreciate them. I want you to appreciate them. I want you to reach out and say thank you to them. It's RCAT, FreshBooks, and Revit Rocketship. Green Build in Chicago. It's coming up in November. Are you going? Are you going to be there? If you are going to Green Build, check out RCAT at booth 529. That's booth 529. Pop that into your head if you're going to Green Build. This year's theme for the Green Build Convention is human by nature, focusing on sustainable buildings and practices that are accessible to everyone. Did you know that you can use RCAT to find lead data on building products? RCAT's powerful search engine can help you find the product information that you need to meet all of your environmental needs. Best of all, like everything at RCAT, this is free too. It's free. Check out RCAT at RCAT.com, A-R-C-A-T.com, and visit them at Greenbuild this November 14th and 15th, 2018, if you're listening to this in the future, at Booth 529. That is Greenbuild Booth 529, and let them know that I sent you Entree Architect. 
Hey, FreshBooks has been a platform sponsor here at Entree Architect for years now. Very long time. They're a great supporter. But do you know how FreshBooks actually came to life? This is a good story. FreshBooks came to life when their founder, Mike, accidentally saved over an invoice. Have you, have you done that? And when Mike did that, he kind of snapped. He was using Microsoft Word to bill his clients. He had studied accounting at school, but found that every accounting software on the market was built for some other business, not for him. And he was frustrated and he wanted something different, something better, something designed for him as a self-employed professional. Are you a self-employed professional? Well, he built it. Today, millions of people are using FreshBooks and on average, FreshBooks customers save about 16 hours per month. What could you do with 16 extra hours? Getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people start sending their first invoice seconds after they start their free trial. The same goes for time tracking, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. So give FreshBooks a try. You can try it for free for 30 days. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and then let them know how you found them in the how did you hear about us section. You just post Entree Architect in that little slot there and let them know. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks will get you your free unlimited 30-day trial. Revit Rocket Chip. <laughs> I love saying that. I love the way that sounds. Revit Rocket Chip. Revit Rocket Chip is a new online course developed by our friends Alex Gore and Lance Psycho over at F9 Productions. Those are the guys who host Inside the Firm podcast. Have you listened to that? That's a great show. Their new online course will get you up and running with Revit fast and easy. It's completely different than anything else available online about Revit. You are going to learn how to model in Revit like it gets built. And you won't even need to start from scratch. Alex provides you with the complete ready-to-go template to get started. It's the actual Revit template that his firm, F9 Productions, has developed over the past decade and uses it today. He walks you through their proven method of developing a Revit model and ends up with a completed set of construction drawings that you can use for your portfolio or reference when you develop your next project. Revit Rocketship is based on years of experience using the software and they teach it at the university level so they know how to get you up and running fast and easy. And I love that Alex and Lance are sharing their knowledge and I want you to check out Revit Rocketship. So register today for Revit Rocketship at entrearchitect.com slash Revit. That's entrearchitect.com slash R-E-V-I-T. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Revit Rocketship. Please visit our platform sponsors today and please thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So you said something about a specific plan and that sort of leads us into step three. It does. And so I always tell folks that step three of these five steps is what I refer to as the meat and potatoes. I even call it that inside the course. It's the program. It's the meat and potatoes. And we need to make sure that in between of thanking people for referrals received, what are we doing that's allowing us 
to really be able to move ourselves into our referral sources subconsciousness so that we're in a position to receive more referrals. So it's the what we do in between those thank you cards. Mm -hmm. And the thank you cards are going to be written just when a referral is received. But we need to build a one-year plan. We need to look at our referral generation on a year-in and year-out basis. And what I tell my students is we're building a wash, rinse, repeat model. I don't want you rebuilding this every year. You will tweak things. You will not want to do the same thing over and over again always. And you will figure out what works and what doesn't work for your personality and being authentic for yourself. But we need a 12-month plan or a one-year plan. And when I say 12, I try not to say 12 months because then people think they have to do 12 things. And that's not what I'm saying. We need a one-year plan that allows you to do three things really, really, really well throughout that 12 or that one-year plan. And that is it's first focused on outreach or what I call touch points to your referral sources. So anything you're going to do that's going to be outreach or touch points to your referral sources is going to be what they need because they're the hero. So they may not need another educational seminar from you, but they may love to be thanked and acknowledged, right, just for being a supporter of your business. So all outreach or all touch points that we do within that one-year plan, right, the outreach to our referral sources, the touch points to our referral sources that we're going to do, we're going to do it about them. The second thing is, is that we're going to make them memorable and meaningful. And I call this minding your M&Ms. We're going to make this meaningful and memorable, meaning that just sending you a card created by a third party that comes out every month for some wacky day is not going to have the same impact as you actually trying to be more memorable and meaningful than that. Sending out your e-newsletter every month and thinking that's going to get you to be, you know, memorable and meaningful is not going to cut it. So you're going to have to think about what am I going to do, this outreach, these touch points for my referral sources, that's about them. So what do they need that is going to keep me memorable and meaningful, but I'm also comfortable doing it, right? And then the third piece is it keeps you top of mind because we are not interested in keeping in touch. Keeping in touch is the once a month text message reminder that says, hey, you need to text so-and-so or call so-and-so because you haven't talked to them in 30 days or 90 days or whatever. That's keeping in touch. And on some level that works when you're in the prospecting and the marketing plans, but in your referral plan, we need to be transcending keeping in touch and we need to focus on being top of mind. We stay top of mind when what we do is memorable and meaningful and it's all about our referral source. Those three work together. They're not three individual pieces. So let me give you an example because I think it's really important for people yeah. to be able to visualize what I'm talking about. So I'm going to use a gift as an example, but it is one of many different types of things you can do as part of your touch points. I always tell my clients or the, the students who are going through my program, I always tell them that it's easy to talk about gifts because we can all see them in our minds, right? I can say a gift and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But that is not all the things that our referral sources want from us. And in fact, a lot of people would prefer gifts are not their love language, right? So they would prefer not to be receiving gifts from you all the time. So I'm going to use this as an example, but please don't mistake in that for, oh, I've got to, you know, send gifts out a couple times a year that'll make me memorable and meaningful and keep me top of mind. But let me just use this example. So when you know who your referral sources are, you should know things about them. Right now, you may not know every single referral source right down to who's their favorite baseball team and are they gluten you know, free or you don't have to know all those types of things, but you should know some commonalities that your referral sources have in common. 
And so one of the things I know about my referral sources is because when I was a productivity and business coach and I coached working parents who owned businesses, that was kind of my niche. Solopreneur, small business owners, but they were parents as well running their business because I'm a parent, right? I have three kids under the age of 10 and I had had a business failure. So I just had a lot of information and knowledge in terms of helping someone not end up where I ended up. And so when you, that was, that was, it just worked for me that that was the path I walked in and that was the niche that I developed. So a lot of my referral sources were also working parents, not always running their own business, but they were also parents. So one thing that I recognized every year is what I call an off guard holiday. And that is Mother's Day and Father's Day. Because I knew 80% of my referral sources were mothers or were fathers, right? That I could hit that because and Mother's Day and Father's Day fall back-to-back months, it makes it really easy to make that a touch point. And so for my top referral sources that were moms, on Mother's Day, they received from me a Wonder Woman water bottle. But here's <laughs> the key to this Wonder Woman water bottle, okay? On the card, it said, never forget, you are a hero. Happy Mother's Day, Stacy." When they removed that card from that water bottle, there was nothing left on that water bottle to remind them of me. There was no logo imprinted. There was no logo logo sticker on the bottom or on the back. It was just the the Wonder Woman water bottle because it is about them. It is not about That's important. Right. But because it was a Wonder Woman water bottle for Mother's Day from someone who knows they're a mom and knows what they go through, right, it was memorable and meaningful. And it kept me top of mind because they continued to use it and they would post it on social media and they'd be like, Stacy, I need another water bottle. My daughter stole mine or, you know, whatever it is. I still see pictures today on social media of someone. I remember I saw a picture just a couple months ago and um, one of my referral sources, her daughter was holding it. And I was like, that has to be a brand new one because mine broke after like two years. So (laughs) it's been a couple of years. So I'm hoping that's a new one. Maybe it just lasted longer for them. But the truth is, is that they felt seen. They felt cared for. And those things are less than 10 bucks. So it wasn't like I spent a ton of money. Now, shipping obviously costs a little bit more. And it didn't take a ton of time to make those cards for them. But it was all about them. It was what do they need? They need to be seen. They need to be acknowledged. They need to be recognized. They need to know that I know what they do for me. And I see it. And I appreciate it. It needed to be memorable and meaningful. And it needed to keep me top of mind. And it accomplished all three of those things. Now, I'll be honest, sometimes just an unexpected random thank you card for no apparent reason, not because I've received a referral, can have the exact same impact for 49 cents of a stamp. So I'm not advocating that you have to send gifts. I'm just using this as an example as one thing you can do to be top of mind, memorable and meaningful and making sure you're focused on the right hero which is the referral source. That's, that's an excellent example. I, I, um, I have a few questions about this step. Um, yes. Number one, how many top resources, how many top sources of referrals are, do, are we sort of targeting? So it really depends on the number of referral sources that you have. If you, when you do step one, if you identify that you have a group of referral sources that are actually sending you five or more referrals a year, you may want to group those together separate from the ones who are just sending you one or two a year. And the reason for that is for two reasons. Not only do we want to track how many referrals you're going to receive now that you're implementing this this one-year plan, I also want to know, did you take anybody who was giving you one or two referrals a year and moving them up to giving you three or four or five or more a year, right? So we're going to be tracking a couple of things here to actually, and I'm preemptively telling you about step five, but we want to make sure that we're tracking so we know the results that we're actually receiving. 
And so when when you think about your different levels within your referral sources, it really depends on who your referral sources are. Some, when students go through my online program, I always tell them sometimes you only have one level because you don't really have anybody else who's ever sent you more than one or two referrals. And you may have two people or 10 people that have sent you referrals, right? Um, some people are going to have like a couple of dozen of referral sources and they're going to need to separate them out by level because these things can get pricey. Right. And, uh, it's part of the t- the template that the online students, um, when they go through my program and they're in step three, which is actually module three within the program, when they're going through and they're actually building what this looks like, there's a whole section on, okay, let's, we got to consider budget. And so we consider budget for all these things too. So we know that we can actually afford it throughout the year um, and then make sure we're not doing too much or we're not doing too little. And, but sometimes that means we're separating out our referral sources. So my top referral sources may have gotten the Wonder Woman water bottle, right? the next level down of referral sources may have gotten something different, mm-hmm. right? It may have just been a Mother's Day card when I took some time and wrote a handwritten note to them. So it, you have to, de- it dis- it really depends, it's situational. It really depends on how many referral sources do you have? And then do you have discrepancies in terms of number of referrals received in the past that we want to go ahead and start segmenting them out? And then but the, we don't overcomplicate this. Please hear me. We don't overcomplicate this. You can never have more than three groups because it's just too much. It's just yeah. way over complication. Yeah. So it's important to sort of, if you have a lot, because that's what I'm imagining. Okay. I've just identified a hundred sources and now I'm sending out a hundred water bottles. So it's, it's, it's identifying them, then identifying the top, you know, maybe five or 10 uh, of your most, most successful uh, sources and, and, right. and, and doing something for all of them, but sort of being able to identify the different levels. That, and that's really, and that's really key. What's interesting that you said, maybe I have like 100 referral sources. Most people don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they think they do or they're pretty sure they don't. And then they're always surprised when they go through step one. And what I find is most people, depending on how long they've been in business and how much they have started to actually generate referrals, most people are lucky to hit a dozen. Most people find in themselves in that couple of dozen Okay. And that, and that goes back to the definition of referral because that's, right. good. that's going to, to whittle down that 100 list into 12. Yes. I mean, I, one time I worked with somebody um, and they had pulled out their referral sources and I was like, why is this person a referral? And they're like, well, they referred themselves. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not a referral. That's, that's not cheating. a referral. And a repeat client isn't a referral. We love them. Yay, repeat clients. They're not a referral either. Right. Okay, great. And then one other question before we get into the next step. And, and I also, I acknowledge that this is a long episode, but this is really powerful and I don't want to stop. So we're going to take the time that we need as long as you're okay with that, Stacey. And we're going to go through all five steps here. I am. I would never leave your audience hanging. That would be <laughs> okay. cool. <laughs> Four and five, you're going to have to go pay for it. No, just kidding. No, uh, <laughs> no, 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 not yet. <laughs> and so, and so here's, here's my other question about this, this subject, uh, this step number three, creating a plan. You said that you want it to be specific, uh, specifically meaning and memorable to that specific person. It needs to be something that that's about that person. And you said that you know something about that person, that, that you know that that person's a mom. Do you have any strategy to recommend on how to get to know your referrals better? So here's one thing that I would say. Some people start out my program and they're like, okay, these are people who've referred me, not really quite sure why, but I love them for doing it. Right. And so I, sometimes I tell them you need what I call like a jump start 
touch point. And sometimes that means that we look at jumpstart touch points in like a couple of different ways, but specific to your question, sometimes it means you actually need to like go spend some time with them. Right. And if they're not local, you need to get on the phone with them or get on Skype with them and be like, Hey, can we have a virtual coffee? I just, I want to talk more about you. I'm, I'm going to learn more about your business and then just have a conversation where there's no particular outcome other than you're walking away with information about them. And I also think that this stuff develops over time because no one just meets you one time and becomes a referral source. So, you know, I have a, a masterclass that I teach to people who come to my program and they're like, I don't have any referral sources. I'm like, well, stop, back up. And you need to go through a training that'll teach you how to turn somebody into a referral source. And it's a process. It is work in and of itself before they're going to start referring you and you can drop them into, you know, the, the five steps and kind of work them through the referral generating plan that we build in the program. And so you have to understand we are talking about building relationships and we can only build relationships really through like ongoing connection and communication and knowing people. And sometimes that means we have to take notes, right? As we walk out of a meeting or in a meeting. So we remember things about them, but I, you did say one thing I wanted to clarify Yes, it is important that I know things about my referral sources, but I'm looking for commonalities mm -hmm. because commonalities amongst my referral sources makes it easier for me to actually execute on a touch point. So the fact that I know a number of my referral sources are working parents, right? So moms and dads, that makes it easier for me to execute on a memorable and meaningful touch point, even if I'm doing it for 20 people, right? Because it's still memorable and meaningful to them when they receive it doesn't really matter that it also went out to 19 other people. Um, it matters to them. So it's not like I need to know that this referral source is a Yankee fan and this one's a Red Sox fan and this one's a Braves fan. And this, you know, I, I don't need to know that type of stuff. I can. And if you have somebody who's referring you double digit referrals, you really should know them inside and out. And you really should do some <laughs> things that's just you and them, right? Um, like I had a top referral source every year consistently sent me more than 10 referrals. And they were a godsend, particularly when I was starting out. And so I literally, and it was a female, so it worked out. Um, I would not recommend this with the opposite sex, but it was, and I literally took her to a bed and breakfast for a night and was like, I just want to celebrate you. I want to we're going to go to a bed and breakfast. I'm going to get us rooms. We're going to go to dinner. We're going to hang out. We're going to like, and we had become friends. So this wasn't weird, right? Like this was like, yeah, we're going right. to go. Hang, and she's thinking about, I'm going to go hang out with my friend, Stacy. And I'm thinking of, I get to go hang out with my friend, but I also get to make sure that she's really, really aware how much she means to me and that she means enough to me that I want to celebrate her in this way. And so that matters because at the end of the day, what we ultimately want to know is that people appreciate what we do for them and we don't want to take it for granted. So yes, know things about your referral sources, but don't overcomplicate this by trying to figure out everybody who has the favorite color blue and everybody has the favorite color purple. Like that's too much. Right. And then, and then I've also read in about referrals that you need to have like 15, 20, 25 touch points a year in order to oh have, to stay in the top of mind. What do you recommend in terms of how many times we're touch pointing these people? So when you hear people say you need, you know, 15 or 22 touches a year, what they're talking about is keeping in touch. Right. And we are transcending that and we are moving into memorable and meaningful. And so our top of mind will be drastically less than that. So with my students, what I always tell them is you're aiming for four to eight, but the sweet spot is six to eight. Okay. And it really depends on what you're doing. If I send a water bottle for Mother's Day or Father's Day and then I don't do anything else till the fall, I'm going to be okay. 
If I just sent a card for Mother's Day and Father's Day, I may want to do a touch point before the summer is over. It really just depends on what you're doing. And it depends on who you are as a person and what you're comfortable doing. And then, you know, do you want to spend time with your referral sources? Because if I throw an event for my referral sources, that has impact much longer than if I just send you a thank you card, even though that has impact in its own way, right? So it also depends on what you're doing and what it looks like and your personality. I don't want some introvert feeling like they got to go out there and hang out with people every day for coffee. I mean, they would fire me, right? <laughs> like as they should, because it do, it isn't authentic to them. Right. And that is one of those pieces we have to keep in mind what we like I'm never I actually like playing golf very little and only with my husband and really I'm actually sitting on the golf cart drinking a beer and reading a book while he is playing and I'm hitting at a couple of holes that's the honest so even if my referral sources love to play golf I'm not taking them out I may send them to play golf but I'm not going to do that because that won't be authentic or fun for me so it's also recognizing what you want to do and what works for you and what works for your budget and so we kind of have this like brainstorming formula that we go through in the program that helps people figure out what their touch points are supposed to look like and what they're willing to do. But the overdoing it, I think, is where people get ourselves into trouble and feeling like I got to do something every month. And then then we go into, well, how do I make this easy? OK, let me just send you a card every month and right. then I'm done. That's not going to be memorable and, or meaningful. Now, I will say and I feel like when I say this, I'm like, and everybody knows the company I'm not saying, right? When I say this, I actually do think there are ways to use third-party tools to help and augment and supplement and complement your referral generating plan. But you've got to remember that if the whole plan is just outsourced robots, so to speak, yeah. doing stuff for you, you're never going to have the impact you need or want. Right. So too little isn't going to work and too much is going to be ridiculous on both ends. Because right. If you get memorable and meaningful um, gifts from somebody every, you know, six weeks, it's going to be like, I know your strategy now. This is ridiculous. This is not the intent. Um, and so something like, you know, every few months getting something that's, you know, a, a meaningful, thoughtful connection, uh, keeps me, keeps you in the stop top of my mind and will be the first person you refer when you're ready to refer somebody. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, if we do step four, Right. So here's the thing. As I mentioned, step three is the meat and potatoes. I, I tell people when they come to the program, step three is going to take you the longest time, but none of this should take you more than a couple hours total from start to finish. So in terms of what I mean, building it, executing on it's a little bit different. But if step three is the meat and potatoes, then step four is the secret sauce that makes those meat and potatoes actually taste good and actually have the results we're looking for. So as we talked about, the reason why I'm here talking to your community today is because I'm teaching a way to do this so that you never ask. But we do need to make sure that we are planting referral seeds so that when people do think about us because we are top of mind, we want to be the one that jumps to the top of their mind when they have an opportunity to refer someone. And so we need to figure out the best way to plant referral seeds. Now, inside the program, there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of scripts and languages. And this is how you build it out. And this is what it looks like. So they can just weave it into their language and to how they do business. Yeah. I mean, from how, how you answer the how's business question all the way down to what do you say in a touch point all the way down to, you know, what do I say if I'm hosting an event just for referral sources? Like we inundate with language because the language piece is what I found is why I call it the secret sauce is because that's the, that's the piece that most people struggle with the most. Well, what do I say? So that makes step three worth all my time and energy and investment. And so I always say we got to plant referral seeds. And really what that is, it's it's 
it is dripping in this idea of referrals in a way that is authentic and genuine. The minute it's not, you're doing it wrong. It's authentic and it's genuine and it's always looping back to the fact that you're thankful for what they are doing. And so that's really that secret sauce of step four is like, how do we plant referral seeds? So let me give you an example. Yeah. So Mark, if I were to ask you, how's business? What is, this may not be your response, but what is the typical response you hear people giving when someone says, how's business? Uh, busy. I get busy. that. Yes. Yeah. I get or busy. slow. It's either one or the other. It's right. I'm busy or, or I'm slow. Yeah. Sometimes you get busy. Sometimes you get great. And I always say, and if they're being really honest, they may tell you it's slow or it sucks, right? <laughs> so when we think about that response, right? Now, I'm not saying you're going to use this language I'm about to give you to answer that question in a better way. And it's going to automatically generate a bunch of referrals for you because seeds bloom over time and they need constant watering. And so you have to keep that in mind as you're planting those referral seeds. But a better way to say, to answer the question, how's business is to say, thanks so much for asking, Mark. It's actually great. I had this great um, meeting last week with someone who was referred to me and I can't wait. We're about to build in this modern home. That's going to be really cool. Right. So I planted the seed that this yeah. client was referred to me. But I didn't dwell on it. And I didn't look at you and say, so do you have any referrals for me? Right. I just dropped it in. I just said, hey, I got this client like yes, last week that's by referral or, oh, my gosh, business is great. I just onboarded three new clients and each of them came through referral, which makes my my life so much fun. Yeah. Right? And or it makes, makes me business. so happy, you know, that, yes, that we're doing it, this great work that people are referring us. Yeah. And you don't have to be cheesy about it and you don't have to go on and on about it. I mean. It's a sentence. And at the end of the sentence is a period. And then you stop talking and you let the person respond to that. Now, some people will hear that you said referral and they'd be like, oh, who referred them? Or are you getting a lot of referrals? What's that look like? And then we've got a whole conversation. And if not, right, and they're like, oh, great. And then you fill in the blank with, so how's your business going or how are you doing? And the conversation just shifts back to the softball tossing. We've still planted the seed. Again, not everybody we plant a seed with in that way is going to bloom into a bunch of referrals. But people start hearing that and they start understanding and equating your brand to referrals. Yeah, that's that's great. I love that. I love that. Um Okay, so let's let's uh, let's go into step five. Yeah, so step five is most people would say is the least sexy step <laughs> of all the steps we're going to do, but it's really a critical one. So I always say what you've just built with step three and step four is that year long right referral generating plan, and with those thank you notes as you receive referrals and knowing who your referral sources are from step two and step one, what you've ultimately created for your referral sources is an experience. And every touch point builds on the next one and plants seeds and it creates this experience for how they feel about you. And it comes back to that Maya Angelou quote, I'm going to butcher it and I apologize, but I won't, people won't remember what you did or what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And an experience is going to have an impact on their feelings. So throughout this year and every year, you're, you're giving them this experience, but we're business owners and a lot of us work by ourselves, we're solos, or we have a very small team. So whereas, yes, our referral sources need an experience, you, my friend, we need a process. And so step five is, is how do we take this plan we just built with this language we're going to use, and how do we turn it into a process within our business so that we actually execute on it? 
to your point, are there parts we can automate and delegate? If I'm buying water bottles for my top referral sources, I don't have to be the one that orders them, right? And if the cards are going to be like stock cards with like a picture on it, and then I'm just going to write a note, I don't even have to be the one that orders the cards, right? But I may have to be the one that actually writes the note. I don't need to be the one that mails them. So you have to create a system or a, a like, kind of like I call it processitizing your plan within your business. So it becomes part of your workflow so that when you say I'm going to do water bottles on Mother's Day and now it's Labor Day, you're like, oops, missed that opportunity because the plan lived on some Excel document or something and it never made it into your workflow and your processes. And so in um, actually module four inside the program, I actually teach like what does this look like to automate this into your workflow, depending on some different technology softwares that you may use. But at the end of the day, it's just making sure these things you want to do get into your calendar or your task list so they actually happen. And then you're measuring what's happening. You're tracking every referral received and you are measuring your results. When any student comes into my program, the first thing I ask them to do is set a goal. How many referrals did you receive last year? Okay, great. Based on what you've received in the past, what do you want to receive this year? And sometimes their goals are crazy and I have to bring them back down to earth. And sometimes they're undershooting their goals. Like if you've only ever received six referrals and you're like, I just want to get seven next year. I'm like, that's not good enough. We're going to try to double that, right? But the idea there, or even triple that, but the idea there is, is that we got to also have a goal we're aiming for and we're measuring our success and we're tracking if it's working. Because when people come into my program, they're in it forever. It's not like a one year one and done. Like you're in it forever. You have access forever. And every year we do a plan a refresh, which allows people to like, okay, it's going to be 2019. Let's set our plan for 2019. What are we tweaking? How did we do? What worked? Let's be honest about what we didn't do that impacted our results. And so there's a way to set up for next year. But if you don't set a goal and then track and measure your results, you you can't tell me how it went, which doesn't help us figure out what do we need to tweak for the next year and the next year and the next year. Yeah. And in terms of automation and delegation, from listening to all these steps, there's a lot that you can automate and delegate. It's really just the, the you have to, you have to define who these people are in step one. You have to do that. Um, and the actual thank you cards, somebody else can be buying those thank you cards. They can be setting them up. They can give you a list of who you're writing to today. And all you do is write and then they take them and Correct. they mail them. And so you can, you can go through this whole process and the things that are important that you are doing, you need to do, but everything else can be automated or delegated. And then like step five, track it. If it's it, like every system that we talk about here um, at Entree Architect, you have to track it because then you don't know whether it works or not and you don't know how to improve it. Right. Exactly. And so and then we don't know if it worked. Right. Right. I mean, and I think that's the issue. I mean, when I tell folks, I'm like, when you make an investment with any software or database or training or program, mine or anybody else's, like you need to do it and then you need to execute on it. Right. And then you need to make sure it's working. And so I always tell folks is that, yes, there's some work involved to actually build it. But to your point, the execution of it, there is usually parts of it, lots of parts of it that can be outsourced. You just have to build it in place for so someone knows what they're executing on. Yeah. So just to just to wrap things up, it's it's step one, identify your sources. Step two, immediately thank thank them. So create a thank you process. Step three is to create a one-year plan. Uh, step four is plant referral seeds. And step five is to automate and measure. And so beautiful, fantastic. This has been a, a super interesting and informative uh, episode here because I'm going to go <laughs> rebuild my referral system based on what you <laughs> just talked about. It, it sounds so powerful. And I know there's things that I'm doing that are not working 
that I can just eliminate those things, take that time that I'm spending on that, spend it on building this plan and this system. And uh, I, I don't see how this doesn't work. You know, if you go through these five steps and you actually do this, I cannot see how this would fail. And so I super appreciative of you spending the time with us and sharing this information. Oh, it is my pleasure. I, you know, I, I believe that everybody should have this information because it does make business easier. And if I can keep anybody from walking down that business failure path, I am all for it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you my one question that I ask everybody. Yes. What is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? You just gave us a whole system on what they can do. <laughs> but is there one thing that they should do right now to build a, a better business for tomorrow? You know, I love that question because it really, my answer is always, it's step one. Sometimes just knowing who are the people who refer people to you helps you think different and act different, just knowing that list of names. And so if you do nothing else, though, Lord, I think that would be a massive missed opportunity. But if you do nothing else, but you take time to figure out who are my referral sources and identifying, do you have some? Do you have a lot? Are you surprised by who's on the list? Are you surprised by who's not on the list that you could have sworn was going to be on the list? That data and knowledge for your business is so, so very powerful. So that would be the one thing. Do it now. Do it today. Don't wait. Figure out who are your referral sources. I think that is such a powerful step for everybody. So good. So good. So it's StacyBrownRandall.com. You can learn about everything about Stacy and her programs at StacyBrownRandall.com. That's Stacy with an E and Randall with an A-L-L. So StacyBrownRandall.com. Uh, you can check out her podcast, Roadmap to Grow Your Business. And she just um, is publishing a book right now. It's in pre-order, did you say, Stacy? Yes, it comes. It is live launch on October 16th. All right. So that's right. That's pretty close. That's actually maybe uh, the release of this podcast, or it may be a week ahead, but go check it out. It'll be linked up on the uh, show notes at episode 240. It's called Generating Business Referrals Without Asking. So go check that out. You can learn more about that on the, on the, uh, the website as well. Uh, all over social media as Stacey Brown Randall. You can just search for her. Uh, or again, go to the show notes. We'll link all that stuff there. And a quick tip. If you love this episode, if you go to StaceyBrownRandall.com and scroll all the way down to the very bottom, I found an article that talks about the five steps to generate referrals. It's there, including a PDF that you can download. Um, and I think, Stacey, you said that you also did a podcast on the same topic that sort of I, goes through it as well. I, I did. I know some people are readers, so the articles are great for them. And some people are podcast listeners. So it's episode 15 on the Roadmap to Grow Your Business podcast. And it's basically going through those five steps again. And from the show notes page, you can download the five steps cheat sheet. All right, cool. So, and, and that article, I went through the article, it's very complete, dives deeper than we did here, although we dove pretty deep today as well. So Stacy Brown Randall, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you so much for coming here and for sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. So there you go. This is one of those episodes that could change everything for you. This is one of those episodes that you will listen to over and over again. This is one of those episodes that you should share with your friends because this is looking at referrals in a totally different way. It sounds so simple and intuitive when you break them down into those steps, 
But it really is when you look at those five steps and if you you implement that plan, those five steps and you do those things, it's going to change the way you get work. I constantly hear from people, how do I get more work? How do I get more work? How do I get more work? This episode just taught you how to get more work. So share this with all your friends because this is this is a game changer. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 240. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 240. That's the link to share. Please share it on Twitter, on Facebook, by email. Tell your friend next door. Please share it. That's the way we're growing here. We are growing exponentially every month, and it is because you are sharing each and one of these episodes. Hey, and tag me while you do it because I want to know how you do it, and I want to say thank you. So please share this episode, episode 240. And you still have time to register for my new free webinar scheduled for Tuesday, October 16th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. If you're listening to this on release, you don't have much time. You have a few days. It's closing on Monday. So if you want to register for this free webinar, it's, it's going to be good. And you want to see this, and it's all new. I haven't ever taught on this before. So entrearchitects.com slash free webinar how to earn 20% profit and transform your business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Do you earn 20%? Well, I'm going to show you how at this free Entree Architect special session webinar. I'm going to show you step-by-step how to develop a powerful profit plan that you can use that will transform your firm from a struggling studio to a thriving creative powerhouse. Do you want a thriving creative powerhouse? I know you do struggling with the numbers, I will make it simple. Register now for free at entrearchitect.com slash free webinar. I want you there. Go register right now. My name is Mark Arlapage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I encourage you, I encourage you to go build a better business. Focus on the business. Remember, profit, then art. I encourage you to go build a better business so you be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Hey, and have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, I'm I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. 
The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.